podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back. It's the TMBA podcast. A little Thursday morning reaction pod. We're going to talk about some news, some mailbag, a bunch of random topics we'll put under the category of armpit August. How are you, boss man? How's your August been going? You love saying that. I guess I believe it. It's kind of a corporate thing, though. You know, like the idea is basically like nobody gets things done in August. It's a corporate. America and a European thing. Me over here, I'm getting stuff done. <laughs> Let's talk about it because I do think there's this vibe. I mean, look, we were both on vacation last week. Armpit August is a term from one of my favorite writers and former guests on this show, Venkat Rao. Uh, he wrote back in 2018 that I've long been on the record as an August hater. My greatest fear for the future is that it will be an eternal August. And the idea is, look, August, we, we kind of cobble it together with some vacations, but it's not even the best month to take a vacation. It's just sort of the one that we've been assigned to take. August is the month that a lot of our dreams for the year go to die. And we sort of tool back up after vacation, fire up the goal spreadsheets, and try to push on through the end of the year. And I thought today would be a good time to look back at some of the issues that are more generally affecting our community and for us to reflect on what the end of this year might look like. What a crazy year it's been. I mean, not even crazy. This has, generally speaking, been the most remarkable year of our lives. And I guess the question uh, we're posing on this show is how does that affect us as entrepreneurs and the opportunities that sit in front of us the first topic is, Are Cities Dead?, which is inspired by an article from James Altiker proclaiming that New York is dead forever and it's not coming back. The second topic, the expectations of remote workers and remote work in this COVID culture. We'll touch on issues like digital nomad returnees and the commoditization of a lot of brick-and-mortar skill sets. And we'll get into a little bit what we mean by that. And our third topic, Ian, will be this idea of the new normal. What is it? When's it going to happen? And how might we adjust to it as entrepreneurs? So stick around with us. We're going to be a little bit more general than usual today. Hopefully, we'll have some takes that will inspire you to take your business to that next level. All right, Ian, the first topic I want to touch on is this idea of are cities dead? How are cities being affected and responding to the pandemic? It's been a topic that's being discussed quite a bit right now in our forum, online, in various formats. And I thought I'd just pull up an article by James Altiker. It's an interesting read, a very spectacular title, so to speak. NYC is dead forever. Here's why. In the article, James outlines the argument that 
even though traditionally NYC has always bounced back from struggles, he claims that this time it will not. And the reason, he says, is because we are in an AB or after bandwidth society, meaning that in the last downturn in 2008, commercial workers essentially didn't have enough bandwidth to execute their business on platforms like Zoom. Well, nowadays we can, so you know, no one's coming back to NYC, and that's that. This article is littered with many personal anecdotes of friends that are seeing bad things go down in the city, decided to move to more pleasant, smaller, mid-tier cities. Also with some stats from platforms like Redfin, which tracks real estate in the US, which suggests that there is quite the exodus, something we've seen on the ground in Austin, Texas, early in the pandemic. I thought that a lot of these really wealthy neighborhoods around Austin, Texas were putting for sale signs up in their yards because, oh my gosh, they can't afford their mortgage anymore. It turns out I was totally wrong. They were putting for sale signs up in their yards because even more wealthy people from New York City wanted to buy their homes. So what's your take on this, boss man? How have cities been affected? Is New York City dead and cities like it? And where are we going to go forward from here? What a big topic. We talk about cities a lot, though, because as location independent as we are, we are location relevant, meaning that we like to spend time in places that are relevant to us and our business and our friends. I just got back from Colorado, go there a couple times a year, riding dirt bikes, family, friends, things like that. So location really does matter. You're talking about uh, New York never coming back. I'm sitting here thinking like, hmm, maybe now's the time to get a little piece of real estate in New York. Always wanted one, never could afford one. Everybody's leaving? Hmm. And when I'm thinking that, obviously I'm, I'm half joking, but who else is thinking that, right? Like you mentioned in Austin, it's like, oh, all these people are, are supposedly leaving Austin, you know? Well, the couple of people that are leaving Austin, you know, there's even more coming from California because of tax rates in New York, supposedly. So... I think this idea that New York City is dead, I think that maybe maybe a less clickbaity title of an article like that, and I've seen a lot of articles like this, is New York City is changing. And then the next article should say, New York City has been changing and will always change for the next hundreds of years. Yeah, These cities are living, breathing organisms, and I think they adapt a lot better than we give them credit for. When you say New York City is dead, like what aspect of it is dead? Like the social scene in Manhattan? Well, yeah, maybe it's moved to Brooklyn. That's kind of the happening place now. Commercial real estate is too expensive or residential real estate is too expensive? Well, yeah, it'll probably turn into a yoga studio with a bunch of Zoom cameras in it. So I just think that it's changing. A lot of these places are changing. Now, are we seeing upticks in secondary cities like Atlanta, Nashville, Austin? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's become... Very expensive, and it always has been very expensive to live in New York City. I, you know, I've always said, Dan, this may or may not be true, but either you're young and broke in New York or you're rich and old. It's like two polar opposites. You don't want to find yourself in the middle of that, you know, 45 and have a couple hundred dollars in your pocket. Not the right city to be in, but there are a lot of cities where you could thrive and be in that situation. New York City is, is harsh. We talk about, and just a fun game to play out, you know, cities to make it and cities to spend it, right? And certain places like Colorado are spending places. You wouldn't maybe come to Colorado to build a career in tech necessarily, although that's changing a little bit. But you certainly would come to Colorado to 
you know, get a cabin on, on the mountain and, and go down the slopes for a month or something like that. As you have seen in Colorado, there are a bunch of lifestyle designers. <laughs> like 90% of the people are lifestyle designers, which I think is cool. Very much dependent on who you're hanging out with. But you don't see a bunch of like high earners and people sitting in cubicles for 14 hours a day because you have these beautiful mountains and you have these things that you can do there. All right. So let me recap here to just at the very top. I mean, we're talking about our city's dead. And the perspective of our show is... Cities are ridiculously important for nomadic entrepreneurs, for location-independent entrepreneurs, for people running tech businesses on the web, which is actually pretty remarkable, right? And that's why we speak about cities and travel all the time on this show. The people... I mean, I look at the last 25 business text messages I received. They're all from people that I met in a city that's important to entrepreneurship in one way or another, and that people from all around the world gather there share ideas, build relationships, and ultimately do projects together, become each other's customers, lifelong friends, all that. Cities are absolutely critical for that, okay? First point. Second point, producer Jane brings up a a wonderful point about look at what happened with London and all the warehouses. How about all those cool restaurants you hang out in London? I mean, that used to be warehouse space, a lot of it. Yeah, so ever-changing Who's super excited about the state of Midtown Manhattan right now anyhow? Why is it so exciting that a a bunch of people in suits that manage telephone companies or whatever, or financial companies, hang out there? Is that something that the future of that city needs to be? I know I'm painting with a broad paintbrush here, but let me just give a, a vignette from a comment on the post, which I thought was insightful and I think sort of relevant to our perspective on cities, which is like, hey, this sounds like the perspective of somebody who's a little bit older. Well, I'm 25 and I'm hanging out in Brooklyn right now. And you know what happened now that everybody, all the sort of the wealthy people with kids in school and dogs and all this kind of stuff are are bailing? Well, this is more affordable now. And now people are starting to come back to the city and we're hanging out on the streets and there's live music outside and it's pretty cool. Well, that's really been the aspect of cities That's so critical to connection, creativity, meeting people on the come up, building alliances. The point I'm trying to make is that if one of the outcomes here is that these premier cities do provide a more affordable foothold for bootstrappers and entrepreneurs, that could ultimately be a really positive thing for our community and maybe for the city as a whole. One of the things I thought of, Ian, when I'm taking a look at these uh, kind of proclamations of this city happening in that city, what's happening here and there, is that I know digital nomads and people who have a great deal of flexibility in terms of their location are listeners, essentially. This has been a tough year for people that are supposed to be on airplanes quite a bit, right? But there's another part of me that says, we're likely to be beneficiaries of all this. You know, Part of what this show has always been about is like playing a win-win economic game. And It strikes me that the fact that corporations are getting flushed out and maybe wealthy classes are getting flushed out, the fact that more flexible location-independent people can move to these premier locations and generate opportunities could ultimately be a positive thing for entrepreneurs. This remote movement that's happening to all these corporations and maybe a reason why a lot of people are not going back to their midtown Manhattan job is because... COVID-19 came in and said, uh, hey, you guys can't be so close to each other anymore, right? And so, you know, 
what's going to happen, my prediction at least, is what's going to happen is they're going to you know, let people work remotely more often. People will, will enjoy this. And then these corporations, because they don't have necessarily people in mind first, they have profit in mind first, they will go find lower cost ways of doing business. It's like, wait, oh, all of a sudden we don't need this office? Okay, cool. Wait, all of a sudden we don't need this, uh, this person because we found another person, and we're going to go into this point later on in the show, that does the same thing for less money somewhere else. Oh, and wait, we don't even have to pay the same kind of taxes because they're not Americans? Oh, that's kind of cool. This might not be headed in a positive direction for everybody, but I think at first it will seem that way, Dan, because everybody's able to work remote and everybody's going to enjoy that for a while. COVID-19 has um, made us realize that we don't all have to work in the same location, something that we figured out like 10 plus years ago, right? And so this has kind of accelerated that paradigm shift, right? Of like, we don't all have to be in the office to be productive. That's part of the reason why I think it's so interesting is because it's accelerated history in a lot of ways. We talk about all the time, oh, 10 years ago, we were thinking about this stuff and whatever. And part of me believes, look, it's been a tough beat for digital nomads, right? Getting locked down in countries that aren't their homes, getting their passport wings clipped. On the other side of the fence, a lot of this stuff has just landed in our lap, you know, our perspective on traditional investing vehicles, the price of Bitcoin and other uh, cryptocurrencies, the success of e-commerce the reevaluation of rents and city prices, the strong existential perspective on location and how locations provide real value versus perceived value. These are questions that we've been dealing with since day one. And really, it feels like in some ways, the mainstream has sort of arrived at our doorstep in a way. So on the one hand, it's like tempting to get all caught up in this and start thinking full-time about the fate of New York City or whatever. But really, the other side of it is just to say, this is sort of how we've been evaluating these things since day one. And maybe we're already well ahead of the curve here and uh, continue to double down on the perspectives that have worked, which is building a small asset for a small group of customers that's highly profitable and not necessarily contingent on enormous global trends living in places that connects you or multiple places that connects you with people that can help accelerate that project. And finally, distributing that organization around the globe in jurisdictions and with staff members who can best contribute to that aim. Our city's dead. I'll say personally, I think they'll continue to be enormously important. And just because whoever's paying the commercial real estate bills, like those people are going to change. I don't think will ultimately change how people value cities. But again, Dan, are cities changing? What a boring title for an article. Give me a second to talk about today's sponsor, Travis Jamison, smashdigital.com. They're the first people we reach out to whenever we're thinking about improving our rankings or any SEO question, frankly. In fact, recently I reached out to the team at Smash Digital with a 301 SEO project, which wasn't a great fit for them. So they referred me to someone who could help. And I know that's why we use them. And so many listeners of this pod use the services over at smashdigital.com. The reality is they really know what they're talking about. They've got skin in the game. They use the exact same methods for their clients 
that they do to rank their own portfolio of profitable businesses. That's right there, practitioners. It's really empowering to deal with experts who are just straight up and honest about what they can and can't do for your rankings and your SEO in general, rather than being walked through some cheesy sales process by SEO services built for people who really don't understand the power of SEO or how it applies specifically to their business. So if you want to have Smash Digital in your business's back pocket or just learn more about what they do, check them out over at smashdigital.com. We appreciate the team at Smash for sponsoring the show. The second point we want to talk about is with all this talk of remote is the future, let's talk about how the expectations of remote workers are changing quickly. We're seeing a lot of people on our hiring platform, Dynamite Jobs, that are sort of getting pushed into this idea of remote work. And they're now all of a sudden applying to work for companies like our listeners own. And it's been just interesting to see the different micro trends happening in there. I wanted to bring a few to light here and talk about how they might affect our businesses going forward. There's a micro trend of digital nomad returnees, folks basically facing the harsh realities of rent, health insurance, the high expenses of living in their home country if they did manage to get back to their home country. And that's affected their salary expectations a little bit. There's also a micro trend of competition. Now all of a sudden, we're truly competing in a global marketplace and we're seeing just one example, places like Eastern European workers who have typically a very high level of education coming in in spaces such as writing and technology and really giving Westerners from you know expensive countries that essentially had geographically siloed salary protection, giving them a run for their money all of a sudden, that all of a sudden when your job was in Ohio or California, and now your employer is starting to think about, well, I could really just as easily hire someone on Zoom from Europe, you could be looking at an enormous salary cut. Let's talk about the first one, Dan. Remote is the future. Is this digital nomads returnees you know, to their home countries? And actually, you're one of them. So I'm going to be interested to get your perspective on that. Yeah. Essentially, just to give a little bit of context, for those that maybe don't follow the show so closely, a lot of people that uh, listen to the show and participate in our community have been living abroad. And a lot of them are Americans and have been living abroad for years and years and years. And that's just a privilege, I would say, that Americans have been granted in a lot of ways. You know, We have this passport that's, I'd say, one of the best in the world until recently. <laughs> And so, you know, a lot of Americans are forced into the situation now where they either had to come home or they had to stay, and now maybe they have to leave. And they're basically faced with the reality that, well, I was making some money and it was uh, it was a great living wherever I was living. Maybe it was Thailand, something like that. And now I'm making that same living, but I'm back in Boston. And oh my gosh, things are really expensive. I can't afford my overseas health insurance. I can't afford rent. I can't afford all these things that I could afford. Some might say that they didn't plan well. Some might say that, well, you weren't really doing something sustainable. You were just kind of, you know, living in a place where you're a visitor. How could you expect to, you know, not have to come home at some point? But, you know, really, a lot of people I don't think did expect to have to come home at one point or another, you know? It's like, if you asked me 12 months ago, like, tell me something that's going to affect the whole world on this kind of scale, 
like I think my only answer would have been like nuclear bomb, like yeah. three different places <laughs> in the world. Like I I couldn't have even imagined it, you know. So you know to plan for that type of scenario, I think. Maybe if you didn't plan, you were naive. But on the other hand, like nothing like this has kind of ever happened except for a world war. Well, there's part of every plan that's the vulnerable part, boss man. And a lot of people, they make the decision to go to places like Malaysia or Portugal because there are a lot of entrepreneurs on the come up in those locations. And you can meet people and you can spend less and earn more of your time back and build something for the long term. Now, that plan in a sort of a three to five year window can be very vulnerable to things like high expenses and the need to travel places or to sustain what some would call the standard American lifestyle. And so, yeah, a lot of those plans have been interrupted. And meanwhile, maybe your earning potential hasn't been improved because you haven't spent that time pushing yourself up the value chain. So I think the broader question and one we've always tried to ask on this show is like, if you're just leveraging the lifestyle arbitrage and not up-leveling your skill set, then you are vulnerable to the sort of situation where you do have to, quote, come home and then sustain a higher expense burden. You know, we've talked about the digital nomad lie. We have a whole episode about this concept of leveraging your location independence And that's what remote workers do. That's why remote workers in Eastern Europe can get these world-class educations where they're not taking on a great deal of debt and they can work for a great deal less than people who have taken on debt to get lesser educations. And now these are situations that as entrepreneurs, we're used to competing in a somewhat global situation. Now almost every knowledge worker is faced to consider this idea that you're competing potentially globally for every job you're applying for. Yeah. And so now we're starting to get into this idea of competition. But before we do that, I kind of want to equate it to what we describe as the early stages of entrepreneurship, which is getting out of debt and then finding yourself where you can basically live very cheaply. And the idea here is to afford yourself runway, to give yourself enough time to lift off and hopefully succeed in your business. And so what a lot of people do is they go somewhere that has a lower cost structure. And one of those places might be your mom's couch, for example. Well, and it might be New York City here in a few months. (laughs) And it might be New York City. What an amazing situation that would be if you could indeed go to New York City and and get a a decent apartment for 2,000 bucks a month or 1,500 bucks a month. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the digital nomad calculus is changing. Now you might say, well, why would I take the risk to fly to Asia or to Europe? Because again, you're doing it to be around people who are doing similar kinds of things. The people that we all met 10 years ago when we started on this journey, we all know them today. And that's because we lived in the same places as them. It's because we went to the same events. And so the same thing's going to happen in the next decade. I think that that, that's why this is a very active question. Like, What are the expenses? Who is going there? What is the scene in that city? And so, Dan, I think the idea, though, is you keep your cost structure low. And and one of the ways to do that is to be abroad, right? But the idea is, if you like Thailand, which a lot of people do, so they go there and they're like, oh my gosh, this place is amazing and I can keep my costs low. The point is, a lot of people don't try and accelerate out of that, right? So they're in a situation where it's like, wow, I love this place, but I haven't figured out how to actually make it sustainable. And that can be problematic. The thing you wrote down here was like, look, it's very hard to commoditize entrepreneurship. And if what you're going to do is move somewhere affordable and 
sort of leverage a relatively automatable skill set, a skill set that people all around the world can do. You know, maybe five years down the line, what a lot of people, and I'm seeing specifically people that are applying to jobs, what they're seeing is that a skill set that was traditionally somewhat valuable to them, they were making good money, that skill set is no longer as valuable. And that's got to be a terrible feeling, something that you've spent 10 years working on. And now all of a sudden, man, everybody knows about this stuff. And now there's software that does this stuff that I used to get paid handsomely to do. You know, that's been a wake-up call, I guess, or a big fat bummer for a lot of people that are looking and excited about this remote revolution, so to speak. And the message to that is like, the, I guess entrepreneurship is basically by definition situating yourself at the top of the value chain. And so if you're somebody who can synthesize ideas, understand how all these concepts and systems work together, and not pigeonhole yourself in one specific thing that ultimately be outsourced one day, that's the way to continue to adapt and to ultimately you know, make the most out of this new landscape. That's right. This, that's kind of the second part of this problem, Dan, which is why this issue is compounding for people. First, it's you, you have to return or you didn't build a skill set. And then it's like, well, you didn't build a business that was very defensible, right? And it's like you said, it's hard to commoditize entrepreneurship. I just saw a snippet of an article today. It was like 7-Eleven or one of these convenience stores is like, they're working on robots stocking the shelves that are powered by people that are overseas, essentially. So it's like, just when you think your job's safe, it's like, well, who could stock these shelves? Somebody in Nebraska for a quarter of the price can stock the shelves in New York City. And let me be a bit of a jerk about it. If anybody you know, is a business owner listening to this, they have friends, they have family that are interested in remote work, let me talk to you from the inside of a company that helps people hire remote. The reality is, is a lot of jobs in our economy are warm body, cold seat jobs, right? Yeah, you got skills. You're charismatic. You speak well with people. Therefore, you can convince people to hire you. You get the job. You get paid. That's how it works, right? Now, I talk with you know one of our account managers, Alex. I even make fun of him. He says there's two words he always says over and over. He says, hard skills, hard skills. That's what I'm looking for on all these applications. I need more than somebody who's just going to show up to a job on time. I need somebody with hard skills that make companies money. And like you mentioned, Ian, those skills are rapidly changing. So yeah, if you can write code, if you can create landing pages that convert, if you can write blog posts that people actually want to read, these are all hard skills. But what we're talking about here is, is entrepreneurship is, is also can be considered a hard skill, which is, hey, what have you done? You know, what sort of organizations, what sort of projects have you gotten off the ground? You're very likely to be able to do that again in the future. Speaking of Alex, he told me a funny uh, word, which I didn't know, but I'm probably pretty guilty of it. It's called uh, voluntold. I was voluntold to do something. <laughs> I like that a lot. Seems like a manager thing to, to say. But, you know, speaking about Dynamite Jobs, We've been recruiting for a company that's hiring developers in Eastern Europe like crazy. And this is this is a trend that's just, uh, it's been going on for a while, but it's really upticking right now, finding smart people in Eastern Europe because they have really good 
a lot of times state education there and they speak English a lot of times very well. Yeah. And you can imagine that their cost structure is a lot lower. I just want to bring this up because this is a trend and this is the way things are going. And a lot of people are vulnerable to situations like that. And I think this is why on this show, like you said, we propose a path of entrepreneurship because it's kind of at the top of the value chain of these things, right? Even if you do have hard skills, your hard skills might be bowled over by some woman working as a developer in Ukraine for a quarter of the price. And that's undeniable. You look at the two resumes, you look at the hard skills, you look at the work and you say, this is a no-brainer. And that's the kind of environment that you're going to be competing in. I think the reason we're beating this drum so hard is because it's all kind of related, right? It's like, it's not good enough, actually, Dan, to have the hard skills. You got to be better than a lot of people. You got to be one to do a lot more. And you sometimes got to be one to do a lot more for a lot less. The company, the environment, it doesn't care if you have that mortgage in California. Yeah. It really doesn't. So yeah, no conclusions here. Just often the expectations of people are you know, set by the past and that past gets repeated. And the whole point of entrepreneurship and learning it, and even if you're an entrepreneurial employee, which is what we do around here, you know, everybody on our team is a synthesizer. There are people that can go out and run their own organizations, or they have, or they're going to in the future. You count on change. You don't try to insulate yourself from it. You count on it. And that's really the difference we're talking about. And that's why we're talking about these trends, because we want to take advantage of them. We don't want to be a victim of them. Our final topic here, Ian, is... The reality is, is like since February, I know a lot of us that are big travelers have been waiting for a new normal to set in. Of course, it's not everybody's business that's going up. Ours, Ian, has gone down. Uh, we run an events business. It's not only been bad for the events business, it's been catastrophic. And the question is, is when do you adjust? When do you say, you know, this is the new normal? And the reason I want to bring this up is like, Look, this has been terrible for so many of us and for so many of our countries and our societies and our neighbors and our friends and family and everything. But we got to reserve a little space on this podcast and in this community to be excited about the opportunity to adapt, the opportunity to solve a new set of problems. This is what we signed up for. And the reality is, is the next set of great businesses and great lifestyles and all this kind of stuff is going to come out of all of this. And the question is, is you going to be one of the folks taking advantage of it? Or are you going to be one of the folks reading the news constantly, watching the ship go down? The cool part about entrepreneurship is you don't need to be on the ship. And I know a lot of people say, you know, it's important to be educated about this issue or that issue, or you need to understand like where Midtown Manhattan's going to go, or you need, that's not true. You need to understand one thing and you need to understand it really well. And you need to understand it for a couple hundred, maybe even 10, maybe one or two if it's your employer, or a couple thousand if you run a, a business like Dynamite Jobs. You need to understand those issues. And if you can serve those people, then you're going to have a successful business. And that's kind of the relief because, I mean, I guess there's a lot of talk in the community. It's like, man, the, the world's so bad. I mean, 
feel a little bit bad about talking about my friends that are having an all-time year this year because they are smartly positioned in an e-commerce niche or because they're smartly positioned in Bitcoin or because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that people that listen to this podcast do. I guess this is kind of just a, a little bit of a, a rallying cry to like, this is normal. Change is normal. It was happening before that our path diverted quite a bit from a lot of the communities that we exist in in day-to-day life because we do travel to unique cities and we do run unique businesses. And the whole point is that our outcomes are many, many times different than the outcomes of those around us. That's the point of entrepreneurship. And so the whole idea is, you know, be careful who you hook your intellectual wagon to. Be careful that who you hook your financial wagon to. You know, if and that's part of the reason we talk about this kind of global mindset and global cost structure. If you think you deserve, you know, X kind of house and X kind of city, that's all great. And maybe you do deserve that. But if you're just pulling it out of the societal hat, you know, so to speak, and then trying to pay for it on the back end without first delivering the value, you know, you might find yourself in a, in a lot of trouble. You know, Dan, when this pandemic first hit, again, for those who don't know, you were living in my backyard in a trailer. Thanks. You know, saving Thanks up for, for winter. Up again. Winter is coming. <laughs> and we did a little thing <laughs> called the pod shop. It was uh, several episodes. And I think some people watching that show, and if I remember that time, might remember us as being kind of excited. And it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because like our business is going down. A lot of other people's businesses are going down. People are getting sick. And and yet somewhat, we're still a little bit excited. And I think the reason is just because we thrive on change. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs thrive on change. They expect it to happen and they see opportunities in it. And th- by the way, th- thrive doesn't mean we're sitting around all day giggling, happy about no, 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 the no. world situation. That's not true at all. Thrive means you know once you wake up, and get ready for work that you decide you're going to be part of a solution for your family, for your team, for your customers. And you know, you got to get motivated. You got to get excited about it. And like we said, this is what you signed up for. And I remember talking a lot on some of those episodes about people being relieved too. You know, it's like, whoa, wow. Now I don't have to run this business anymore. Like it was always kind of on the edge. Now it's pushed it over. Now I get to do the things that I really wanted to do. Right. So it's like, you're almost given permission And I still think a lot of that's going on and a lot of that's going to continue to go on, you know? This new normal, your question is like, how long do you sit around and like wait for things to return back to normal? I think you don't sit around at all. I think you operate as if things aren't going back to normal. I think you figure out how to make your life better if it isn't good right now. I keep thinking of this idea, Dan, of like owning a restaurant kind of before the pandemic and like during the pandemic. And then the person that wants to open a restaurant but hasn't yet, but like has all the ideas, like the menu mapped out, maybe even has a location and like the the food options and all this stuff. And it's really a hard time to be the person that owns a restaurant because you're paying rent on the building, you know? Maybe you let go a bunch of people, maybe you're still paying them, and you're thinking, "When am I ever going to come back to my business? When can I ever open my restaurant again? Meanwhile, you're just burning thousands and thousands of dollars. And a lot of those businesses, a lot of those restaurants have gone out of business because they couldn't sustain it. But the person that hasn't spent a dollar yet, and they're waiting and they're ready to go as soon as they're able to open that restaurant again, that's an exciting time for them. And that's also going to be an opportunity. This was a theme that we spoke about quite a bit when all of the loans were coming out. It was clear that 
a lot of governments were trying to sell this idea of, hey, everything's going to be like it was before. Everything's going to come back. And certainly things have come back in the past and they might very well this time. It might be years. It, it might be one year. It might be five. Who knows? But if your business is designed to require everything to be normal all the time, so to speak, that was a great opportunity to take a second look at that. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a business that is not particularly adaptable and depends on a lot of different factors that all add up to a kind of normalcy we enjoyed there for a while. But it's really worth looking at the idea, and I think a lot of people in our community explore the idea of businesses or having elements in your portfolio that benefit from disruption. And I don't know what the timestamp is right now, but I haven't brought up Nassim Taleb yet. But this is something we've talked about for years on this pod, and it's been really interesting to see it go down in real life, which is when things get disrupted, do you run a business that could benefit from the disruption? And the cool thing about that, like you said, with the person who's thinking about starting a restaurant or who's thinking about getting into e-commerce or who's thinking about starting a podcast or whatever it is, now's your time. You read these articles about Manhattan, right? And it's like billions of dollars and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are involved in all these big mega trends, right? But you listen to this podcast and you hear, there's 25 people talking about email marketing. Why isn't there a space for you in email marketing? And isn't email marketing something that would potentially benefit from some disruption? Something that is going to be around in five years? Use your example, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's doing marketing on the web, whatever these things are that you, these little nuggets that we put out on this show, I think a lot of people like it's like, you can look at it one of two ways. On the one hand, you can say, oh, these are like, you know, successful people that, you know, they're great for them. Good story. But also, you know, these are little indications of cash flows, of opportunities, of things that are working in the world. And so I think that the core message of this is that even if the meta trend is a bummer, the personal trend that you develop for yourself can be highly adaptable. It can benefit in disruptive times. This idea of holding on for normalcy is the kind of a mindset that is more of a career mindset, right? Like I need everything to sort of line up to get my paycheck. Whereas I think the entrepreneurial mindset says, for now, this is normal and normal is change and I'm ready for it. That doesn't make it any easier in a lot of ways, but I'll tell you what, for a lot of people, it's been easier in the sense that, you know, we talked about in the early days of COVID that this was going to be the opportunity of a generation. Maybe it's the opportunity to get a five-year lease in New York City. Maybe it's the opportunity to start that new e-commerce shop or podcast or whatever. A lot of people are going to take that opportunity and a lot of people are already doing it. You know, you mentioned being anti-fragile, you know, and we just kind of explained on this podcast as it's pretty obvious that events have gone away. And so, you know, a lot of our business has gone away. If you're thinking, you know, pragmatically about a lot of these things, like maybe we were like, it's like, well, how would events ever go away? You know, even guys like us that act like we know what we're talking about, you can't always predict these things and you can't always build the most robust business and you can't always have everything be anti-fragile. Right, but you can't adapt. You can change. You can't say this is the new normal, and now we have to adapt and change. The point here is that 
you know, the whole reason we talked about anti-fragility over the years is that you can count on change. You can count on it. People underestimate its power all the time. They underestimate it in the stock market. They underestimate it in real estate. They underestimate it in their careers. And if you're one of the brave and crazy people that is willing to bet on change and bet on it smartly, then you can really benefit. That's really what this period has shown. The other thing is, I think, that COVID has been pretty friendly to bootstrapping entrepreneurship principles. and has been pretty friendly to TMBA listeners, relatively speaking, that these principles can endure in times of change and in times of challenge. So I think that this change is the normal. If it didn't look like that before, maybe it's more apparent to us now, and it's worth building with that in mind going forward. We're going to wrap it up with that. Just a few little news items. We know we were all over the map on this one. We get ideas from you guys. You email us. We would love to invite some of your COVID stories. We're painting with a super broad brush here. Has it gone great? Has it gone bad? Are you marooned somewhere? Did you make the decision to return, quote, home early and now regret being stuck, et cetera? Just pull out your iPhone or your Android phone and send me a voicemail of your COVID experience. I'd love to, to hear from you. My email is dan at tropicalmba.com. That can be anonymous or you can leave a name. We might even play some on the show. Finally, I want to address something, Ian, that has been brought up to us by a listener who said they were disappointed that we had not addressed the issues of racism, of the Black Lives Matter movement in America. And it wasn't super specific about one issue or another, whether it being police brutality or systemic racism. But the overall message of the feedback was they were disappointed that you know we hadn't made it a point to use this platform as an opportunity to engage people in that issue or to at least you know let people know where we stand so dan i'm going to take a stab at this because i think it's a fair critique a lot of podcasts did comment on current events and we chose not to and part of the reason, I think, is because of this idea of singleness of purpose. And that's borrowed from AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. And basically what that means is our mission here, as far as I'm concerned, is to further the careers of entrepreneurs. That is individual of race. That is individual of sex. My hope for this show is to push people forward as entrepreneurs, and then they can do as they wish and as they see beneficial to their family, their loved ones, their community, their businesses. And I think that that's what we offer on this show. You know, we have a lot of opinions about these things, Dan. And if you come to my house, I will be happy to share them with you. Yeah. But this platform, I feel like is best suited to push people forward as entrepreneurs, and then they can go out and push forward whatever their mission is. But the mission of this show is entrepreneurship. And that's the reason why we stayed away from it. Also, the, the listener asked for a little bit of behind the scenes. And the reality is, is you know, we took a couple stabs at, at saying a few things because obviously we're 
emotionally affected by things happening around us. And, you know, a lot of it came off like a little bit patronizing or some of our team members weren't aware of the issue because, you know, we have six different nationalities out of seven of us. And, you know, everybody has different things going on at different areas in the world. And what we were doing over the weeks and not commenting is cutting out some of that stuff and saying, you know, look, like there's a lot of places to go for quality political information and mindsets and thoughts and stuff. And why don't we embody that singleness of purpose here where every week our listeners can expect to come and help get a little bit of insight into how one might do this very difficult thing, which is grow a location independent business. And the truth is, Dan, that our entire team has pretty strong ideas about some of the different things that are going on in the world. And some of us, I wouldn't say us, but some of our team members actually have probably more education, perspective, and experience in in these things. It's discussed in the company. It's discussed between me and you. It's discussed between us and them. So these conversations are happening. They're just not happening online. They're not happening on air. And like you said, like they're going to be different for everybody and they're very complex. Maybe that's not satisfactory to everybody, but um, you know, that's just where we stand at the moment. As always, though, you know, we respond to you. This episode was based on questions, queries, voicemails. You know, again, we're really particularly interested in how COVID has affected your business or your travel lifestyle. You know, we made some speculation here, told some broad stories, but uh, we'd love to hear you guys pull out that telephone and share your story. And, you know, that's one way if you want to turn the conversation in a particular direction, pull out that phone, give us a voicemail, we will listen, and a lot of them will get played on this show. That's it, boss man. Thanks for joining me, and thanks to Smash Digital for sponsoring the show. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.